Hey, this is Ertai from the Sightless Farm podcast. We are currently on a break, and while I'm recording the next batch of episodes, I will be publishing a few episodes from a similar but cancelled podcast called A Touch of Gaming. It is co-hosted by Ryan Peach and Brian Counter. Enjoy the episode. A Touch of Gaming, February 2016 edition, Pros and Cons, Part 1. This is Brian from the Editing Bay. The audio quality in Episodes 4 and 5 is a little subpar. That's on me. I had a battle with the Audacity Leveler, which didn't work very well in putting three hours of three people's audio tracks together, and I didn't realize that it wasn't working very well until well into the editing process, and at that point, I was not going to back out and start over. So the quality here, after compressing a second edition MP3, wasn't the best. That's on me and not Ryan or Bill, as the original audio quality wasn't bad, but exporting at the rate we had to export at on the cheap server, well, it is what it is, so I hope it's not too bad. But my minor apologies for the lesser quality in this, these two episodes. Hi, this is A Touch of Gaming, a podcast about the participation of the blind and partially sighted in the modern tabletop gaming hobby. I'm Ryan Peach. In this edition, Brian Counter and I are joined by convention planner and veteran conventioneer Bill Corey to talk conventions. We have so much content on conventions that we can't cram it all into one edition, so this will be the first part in a two-part series. Here in part one, we'll be talking about our personal convention experiences and the convention experience in general. In part two, in a later edition, we'll be providing our advice and suggestions on how others can enjoy the convention experience as well. Though we will talk about gaming at conventions, we've decided not to provide many specific game recommendations for this edition. As a large, organized event, conventions are a great place to experience presentations, demonstrations, acquire product, and meet up with others who share your interest in the topic upon which the convention is based. In North America, where A Touch of Gaming is based, established tabletop gaming conventions continue to grow, and new conventions continue to pop up year over year. In time, there may be one or more conventions near enough to you for a day trip by a car, bus, or plane, or affordable enough to stay the weekend. To get you there, and to help you make it a memorable experience, let's get over to the table and get on with the content. Seated on my virtual left is Brian Counter. Hello. And to my virtual right is friend of the show, Bill Corey. Hey, how's it going? Now, Bill, uh, would you like to let us know where you can be reached? Uh, email, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you happen to be on the internet? Sure, sure. Um, I am on Twitter. I am at Bill Corey Jr., B-I-L-L-C-O-R-E-Y-J-R. I am the guy behind the Cubist podcast. So you can go to thecubistpodcast.com. And that's where my podcast is. And I'm, I'm on Facebook, but Facebook is full of political hatred and evil. So I don't look at that all that often. So there you go. Not making your job easy, easy, Brian. <laughs> this is, no, I, I'll, I'll leave that and I'm going to leave the laughing in. That's pretty Good. funny. Okay. And you, Brian? I am, uh, if you want to really reach me, uh, via email, it's heymondo at gmail.com. That's H-E-Y-M-O-N. D-O, uh, on Twitter, I am at Cult of the Old. And uh, to reach me directly, uh, you can try Red 
Meeple, M-E-E-P-L-E, Ryan at gmail.com, and at Red Meeple Ryan on Twitter. Okay, Bill. Yes, sir. Um, so uh, where else have you uh, put out any sort of convention-related media content? <laughs> that is, in podcasting terms, what they call a softball, ladies and gentlemen. I mm-hmm. was, the uh, for a long time, a regular contributor to the Dice Tower podcast. I did a little segment called ConCred where we mm-hmm. talked about, or I talked about, uh, topics both in attending and running conventions, uh, game-specific conventions. I didn't really touch on sci-fi and other such geeky conventions as much. Now, something I wanted to know was whether that was supposed to be a wordplay on con crud. It absolutely was. That was the point of it, is I, for those of you that maybe don't attend a lot of conventions, it is very, very easy to get some sort of a nameless, awful plague just by going to a convention because you, well, you end up touching, you do, you get so bad. You get, you know, cause everybody's using the same three bathrooms and everybody's touching the same things and you're handshaking and whatever. Oh, yeah. And next thing you know, you've got this awful thing that makes you feel like your sinuses are about to fly out your nostrils. Mm-hmm. And it's, Especially if you're touching the same pieces, like for one of those big event games. Yes. And, and he's touching the pieces, and oh, you you get really the sick. Sometimes. Maybe maybe it was that I I didn't get into the thick of the convention to somehow have avoided getting the nameless disease known as Concrete. But um, I've attended conventions; we all have, and I've I've yet to get sick from attending one. So so far, so good. Oh man, you... maybe I just need a convention game. Knock on no, wood so... and carry an extra horseshoe around you, because mm-hmm. I yeah, it's. I got it. Horse, horseshoe, uh, uh, maybe a, a can of those Lysol yeah, wipes. there you go. I got. Hey, it. I got the yellow virus from pandemic from a convention once. <laughs> I I um went to uh, BGG Con in Dallas in 2015 and got the worst case of concrete I think I've ever had. Like to the point of being slightly hallucinogenic and oh uh, my and shaking and an awful fever you're and... still suffering from that aren't you yeah no i have <laughs> thankfully thankfully this is a much milder version believe me as miserable and he's he's referencing the fact that i'm a big whiny baby on twitter when i get sick yeah no i recently in and this is being recorded in early february 2016 uh, recently been a little bit sick this doesn't hold a candle to what happened to me at bgg um, I had people coming up to me at BGG 2015 going, are you all right? As I was just walking down the hallway. Like I wasn't. Oh my. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. And so I ended up spending a full day of the convention. Well, not a full day, a night and most of the next day huddled in my room under like six blankets instead of actually going to the convention to try and beat it and taking a million meds. And it was bad. So. But yes, back to your original question, that is that is where the name Concred came from. And it was also because I have attended so many gaming conventions for so many years that I felt like it was also a play on sort of street cred. You know, like I I have mm-hmm. I've been doing this long enough. I've been a gamer for well, I've been a modern board gamer for well over twenty years now, and I've been attending game conventions for over thirty. So you know, I felt like, I guess I had a valid voice when it came to this specific topic. Okay. As a segue to that, uh, what was the first convention you attended? Where was it? Uh, what was it about? The very first convention that I attended was Gen Con. And that was 
when it was still held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was held at the old Mecca Convention Center, which is no longer in existence. It has been bulldozed and turned into the Midwest Express Center. Oh, maybe... What year? Um, I'm actually trying to think of that right now. I want to say 1984, 85. It was, it was in the mid to late eighties and I'm, and I'm blanking on the exact date, which, so mid to late eighties was the first time that I went to a convention. I was, I want to say I was 11 years old. My father is an old school gamer as well. And so my dad took me to Gen Con and I, you know what? I must have been 12 just based on other life events that I remember happening around there. So that would have made it 85. Hmm. So yeah, my dad has been, I, I, I come by my geekiness honestly. I grew up around it. So cool. Yeah. So I, I remember vividly that first Gen Con because we went for only one day and I was heartbroken that we weren't going to go back. Oh, uh, what, what kind of a convention was Gen Con in the early mid eighties? It was really very similar to what Gen Con is now, except for much less obnoxiously overly busy. Um, it was still the biggest game convention in the United States. It, you know, it's been that for pretty much ever since, since anybody outside of Wisconsin has heard of Gen Con, but which by the way is where I live, uh, point of reference. I live just outside Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is where Dungeons Dragons and TSR were born. So I, I am within a 10 minute drive of the original home of so, Bill, I, uh, I ha- we have a piano repairman who grew up near the Gygax household and, and uh, saw D&D develop. Did you have any experience near that house? And, uh, and uh, tell us about that. Oh, yes, very much so. Um, my dad was part of Gary's uh, game group that was that played Chainmail, which was the original tabletop miniatures war game that D&D sprouted from. And so my dad played a lot of chainmail with Gary in his basement. And I used to, I was there many nights. Um, I remember, I have vivid memories of going down into the basement and seeing that sand table and everybody hunched over it and then being told to go back upstairs because I was a little kid and I really shouldn't be around a bunch of grown men, you know, being gamers, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, I live right. I currently live about a, 10 to 15 minute drive away from where TSR and Dungeons and Dragons were originally conceived. So Very cool. I am, I am in the motherland. I don't know. Sure. The, I'm, 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 I'm at ground zero for the geek movement. How about that? You're in geek, geek me- Meccaville. Yeah, there you go. I like to say that I grew up in Gary Gygax's basement. Um, oh, wow. And Gary's wife actually would babysit me for hours so, while my, my dad was there gaming. So yeah, my dad uh, play tested. D&D. My mom actually did two of the pieces of art in those original three white books that everybody looks for. Yeah. There's actually, my mom did two of the pen and ink drawings that are in those books. There, There is some truth to the notion of gaming being about unwashed grognards sitting in their basement They're definitely, as grown adults. There definitely used to be. And I say this with zero sarcasm, just so we're clear. The marginalization of the idea of adults playing games was very real and very prevalent moving even into the 21st century. I think that the idea that it was not only a socially acceptable, but desirable hobby for an adult 
especially a man, is ve- is a very recent concept. I, mm-hmm. I, I, at least in America, it is overseas. I oh. know that Europe, Europe has been well ahead of us on this curve for quite some time. But for the longest, the landscape, the landscape seems to be changing, and which I am yeah. very grateful for, quite frankly. Me too, because I mean, you have things like tabletop and references of of uh, wood for sheep and Catan on Big Bang Theory and all that kind of stuff, and other and in movies sometimes. Oh as yeah, well. tabletop so cultural uh, video. Mm-hmm series right yes and and cultural acceptance is coming around and that pleases me not just because i like the hobby i just think it's a more mature approach i feel like this is an inadvertent pun but the uh recent tv show blind spot has a major character who is a huge board gamer and references her board game collection regularly on the show so there's a it's it it is becoming i don't want to say a cultural touchstone yet but we're getting there we're getting to the point where Random people will have heard of games like Catan and Ticket to Ride and mm-hmm. Carcassonne, possibly even, without having to be fed the, well, it's kind of like Monopoly, but better line that we've all had to use. Sure, sure. The the internet has helped considerably with regards to sort of scaling up both the the participation and the, the community spirit. I even, even though it's still small... The, the, we talked earlier about con, conventions such as Gen Con being the largest in, in North America, uh, and they get hundreds of thousands of attendees year over year, and they continue to grow, but it's still considered to be a relatively small, close community, and for, for better or for worse. Well, let me, uh, there's, there's actually two points that you just touched on there, Ryan, that I want to comment on. Number one. Yeah, sure. I think that the internet did help, but I think what helped even more is the technological boom and the information age, which quite frankly predates the, what we consider the modern day internet. Um, I think the idea that being a geek and being a, a very focused on something non-athletic is, is okay was really the precursor to board gaming being a socially acceptable hobby. I think the idea, in the words of one of the characters from one of my favorite shows, Leverage, Age of the Geek Baby, you know, we're in a point now where it's okay to not be all about, you know, muscles and, you know, looks. It's okay to just embrace more esoteric hobbies. The second point that I want to touch on, and I'm sorry, I I don't mean to be pushy here, I just don't want to lose my train of thought, is (laughs) you had mentioned that you brought up Gen Con again, which is really a great... Gen Con's really probably the best measuring stick that we have for the the reach that modern gaming has had in American society or North American society. I'm sorry, Ryan, you're Canadian. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be a little bit us centric here. Please forgive me for that. The as I, long as you make a Gordon Lightfoot joke somewhere, that's okay. you're good. dude, I am a Gordon Lightfoot fanboy. Are you kidding me? The wreck of the, oh, Edmund, so am I. the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald references, Wisconsin. You know how rare it is for Wisconsin <laughs> to actually get a positive reference in pop culture. And hey, Ruthie and I went to his concert when he came through Champagne. I would, and we single-handedly reduced the mean age at that concert by several years. <laughs> and in a crowd of a thousand, Ruthie was the only person of color. Yeah, I was going to so, say, going to say <laughs> that would that would be a, a, probably a pretty painfully white concert. I would, oh yeah, I would have. It was great. It was well, great though, Bill. So, if 
If we ever choose to do an ongoing podcast with you, we'll just call it the Carefree Highway Games Podcast. I like it. <laughs> and quite frankly, that would be a really good name for a podcast, I'm just saying. Yes. All right. But my second point. So as Gen Con as a touchstone for the cultural acceptability of gaming, let's let's think about it this way. Gen Con attendance, if I recall correctly, last year was a touch over 60,000 people. That's 60,000. That was 20, That was 2015. 2015. Yes. Thank you. Yes, in 2015, it, it hit about 60, I think it was 61,000 people. To give you an idea of scale, the stadium in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that the University of Michigan football team plays in can house pretty close to 100,000 people. For and they, and they never don't sell out that game. So to give you an idea, Gen Con, a once-a-year event, collects 60% of the number of people that can that regularly attend football games in a college town. And granted, a major college town, but a college town nonetheless. So mm-hmm. we may be more socially acceptable than we ever have been, but there is definitely a long way to go. We are definitely not full-on mainstream yet. And they continue to grow their numbers year over year when, when they produce their uh, their turnstile report. Although... Uh, Although I, I will be so bold as to make a prediction, as we are recording, as I said before, on February 3rd, 2016, and I will be so bold as to say that you are going to see a serious plateau in Gen Con's numbers over the next three to four years. I think that between now and 2020, Gen Con is going to plateau and possibly even fall slightly. That's my, that is well, what my makes you prediction. think that? Well, well, as a, as an as an off the record aside, I think that the games that they're playing with uh, the hotel lottery may contribute in some ways to that. People will just get frustrated and fed up with that, the shenanigans surrounding that. But uh, yeah, Ryan, it, I don't think you should make that off the record because I think this is an important thing that people need to talk about. The fact of the matter, Brian, and why you asked that is because Gen Con is wildly overcrowded at this point. It oh, is, I know. I, I went this year. Yeah, it's obnoxious. It's a ob- well for for their 2016 Gen Con. I think they've attempted to address this by opening up um, Hall K and moving True Dungeon, which is their big uh, live action RPG spectacle, into the uh, nearby stadium. That mm-hmm. is dumping shot glasses on a barn fire, sir. That that is that is a step, and good for them. But the point is that they are, it's not even a matter of whether they're going to run out of space. It's the matter that right now, I believe Gen Con has a, it definitely still has a positive image amongst the casual convention goer. If there, if there are people that only go to one game convention a year, they might still very well, especially in North America, they might still very well go to Gen Con. But for anyone that goes to multiple conventions, or is deep enough into the hobby that mo- that more than just Gen Con and possibly Origins and maybe Packs or whatever are realistic, like like in their in their field of vision. Gen Con has dropped down a lot of people's lists. It is it is no longer a priority convention for many many people. And I, I know that that's that. one of those weasel words, but it's the truth. No, just I, in, I agree. Just in case. Um, 
anyone listening may have an impression that the number of game conventions out there have a large attendance such as Gen Con or close, just to put it in perspective, an event like Origins, which takes place in Columbus, Ohio, gets approximately a quarter of that year after year. And then the next largest conventions to that are somewhere in the range of uh 500 to 2000 attendees year over year with some some growth because they might be newer conventions or they just they, they don't have the capacity at the convention hall that they they currently have for the convention that sort of thing okay but let's compare and contrast here because you're absolutely right on the size thing gen con blows every other matter of fact you could probably add the total attendances of all of the other conventions that are, aren't just like some guy's game day in his garage, you know, anything bigger than that, you could probably add them all together and still not reach the numbers that Gen Con hits. And I don't think that's much of an exaggeration. It is really, no, but what we, massive. what we, what we have seen though, um, is a proliferation of new conventions popping up. Oh, I would say in the last five years, they've been mushrooming all over the world. And quite uh, frankly, I'm going to take some credit for that. <clears throat> I would just like to say that I started putting out my ConCred segment three years ago and in, in, in 2013 and now in 2016. There's conventions everywhere. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> and, and we will talk a little bit more about that later on in the show as well. Not so much about giving Bill more credit, but about the idea of conventions possibly being in a town or city near you. I know, I know this is an audio convention, audio podcast, but, and you can't see this, but I am currently flexing as we speak. Just throw that. <laughs> right, That's a horrid visual image, Bill. Oh, all right. Sorry. You cannot, you just, just keep in mind, Brian, you cannot unsee it. <laughs> I know. He's seen it before. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that. Brian, yes. Brian yes. and I have, matter of fact, I don't, I don't know. Ryan, you probably have some specific direction you want to go here, but I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Brian and I met for the first time at a Dice Tower convention, the very first Dice Tower convention, mm-hmm. which was in what, 20, 2013, Brian? <clears throat> Help me. 2012. I think 2012. So. 2012. It was in 2012. 2012. That's right. So we met yep. for the very first time at the very first Dice Tower convention in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, in 2012, which had a grand total of 300 attendees. 300? Woo. Yes. It yeah. was one big room with a lot of tables and one set of paired bathrooms. And not it, and, and not the best lighting in the universe, if I recall correctly. No, especially for blindy here. Yes, yes. Um, it, was a, it was a complete blast, though. It and was. I, we both dragged our wives with us. Yes. Um, and mine was the seeing-eye dog and loving person and very giving person. Mm-hmm. And your wife came with, and we, we all played games together. It was quite fun. Yeah. As a matter but of fact, if we want to talk about the growth of the hobby and conventions, the Dice Tower Con is actually a great example because they seem to sell out within hours. They're, they continue to up the capacity year over year. At some point, I think they're talking about unlimited capacity, but I don't know if that's supposed to be 2017 or 2018. Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they've just changed venues for this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe I'm getting ahead of you a little bit, Ryan, but I just think that the popularity of the smaller conventions, which Bill has taken credit for, uh, <laughs> countrywide, mind you, flex. Um, yes, <laughs> it's. I think it's an outgrowth of more people getting into gaming and more comfortable with the hobby, realizing it's not only just not monopoly, but it's not 
also just heavy Euro games or, or Grognard sitting together. It's a lot of fun for families. It, you know, even uh, kids can come to these things. And for me, I would go to Dice Tower Con and cons of that size in a minute past Gen Con yeah. because I, I went. I started going to Gen Con back when I could still drive a long time ago. Um, and that was when it first switched to Indian. I went there, you know, many years running, and then I kind of stopped going because of the eyesight. I just went back this past year, 2015, with uh, uh, friends who are willing to lend shoulders and help me walk around uh, because of the vision thing, and it was fun. However, for for my personal taste, and I believe a growing number of people's tastes, the more fun is the social events and the lesser, the less big stuff where you get to see people, you get to see friends you've seen before. You ha- you can actually play games instead of going to the events. Uh, going to the events, I'm sure that's going to come up in a question later, but going to the events, the big cons is, is great fun and I encourage it and I'm not downing the big cons at all. It's just that I, I'm perceiving that most people just want to go to a down home kind of place where they can be comfortable and play games interact and have that kind of fun instead of the uh the, the wow of the big hall i think that Je- well, my next question is going to be to ask you brian about which convention was your first where was it <laughs> um what it was about okay my my first real convention uh was gen con the year it moved from uh the wisconsin-ish area at, down to indy and uh, like I said, th- that's when I was still driving, so I had good vision and didn't need any help there. And so we went with friends. Uh, we actually just did a one-day thing, and it was more buy stuff. What uh, year was that? I don't remember. Bill, help me out. When did it move to – what was its first year? 2003 was the first year it was in Indy. Okay. So, yes, it was 2003, and I went from 2003 to through – 2010, and we always did the one day every year, and that was my first experience. Uh, and then I kind of stopped going because the site wasn't so good. And honestly, I think I just grew from needing buying stuff at Gen Con into enjoying the experience and picking up a few games instead of just going to buy, if that makes sense. And then uh, I went back again this year and bought some stuff, and it was fun, but I'll be honest, I went one day, it was so crowded. Yeah. We, we went on Family Day, which was a great price. But it was so crowded. It was a good time, but you really couldn't play anything, um, and it was just a. It was like a kind of an eh uh, with as far as buying stuff because I've I've gotten to the point where I know if I can get something at home through through either the internet or through the local game shops, I'm not going to carry it around at Gen Con all day. I've just I've learned from experience that's not a good idea. Um, the, the only reason you <clears throat> buy something at Gen Con is if you want to play it at Gen Con. Yeah, realistically, I mean, at this point, if you're not, if you're buying stuff at, or you're from overseas and shipping right. would kill you. But if you right. live in uh, the United States or I would argue even Canada, um, there's really very little reason to buy things at Gen Con unless your goal is to get it played at Gen Con, which I have definitely done a few times or to buy promos for things. Mm-hmm. That That's the other thing that Gen Con's good for is the little mm-hmm. weird stuff. Yep. So which day is family day? The Sunday? It's the Sunday, yeah. And you okay. get in, you can get in uh, an entire family for I think 35 bucks plus tax. I like to think really of cool. the Sunday of Gen Con as Gen Con hangover day when everyone <laughs> else that has been beating themselves into the ground for the last 3 days trying to game their brains out is staggering around like zombies. Or at least Pretty that's much. how it used to be for me. Oh yeah, no, we I had an interesting episode. I'm walking around with my friend 
uh, letting letting me use his shoulder to help walk. And there was a, I'm, I'm tapping on the cane kind of loudly because I see this guy, a younger person, texting his brains out on a phone, not paying attention at all, and he walked literally right into the blind guy. Mm-hmm. How's that for irony, you know? There's a, there, I, I actually have um, talked about the idea of being a good convention attendee and respecting space on, on the concrete segments a number of times. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that's one of the things that people, it's very easy to get wrapped up in whatever you are focused on mm-hmm. and, you know, and therefore not be aware of your environment. But I think that anytime you get around a large group of people, and I, and I don't just mean this for gaming, but I mean for a sporting event or, you know, any sort of a large gathering of people, I think that your number one priority should be your environment. I really do. Yeah. And I wish that more people did that because not only is it more respectful to other people, it's just flat out safer. Sure. So. Sure. Uh, and if you want to expound on any of that in the second half of the edition, we will pass around uh, tips for persons who want to attend conventions as well as persons who uh, are involved in organizing conventions. We'll be passing those out like candy. Sure. To answer for this question myself, I attended my first convention in 2014. It was uh, FallCon in Calgary, Alberta, put on by the FallCon Gaming Society. They do a lot of events over the course of the whole year. Convention Gen- FallCon is probably the capstone of, of their entire year, and it happens to be in the northeast section of the city where living. It's It's been a, a great, modestly-sized convention. Uh, I haven't attended anything else. As I understand with the history of FallCon, where it's approaching its 30th anniversary coming up in 2017, it started out like a lot of the earlier conventions did as a miniatures wargaming convention. It has since evolved. It has moved venues to the Commonwealth Convention Center in Northeast Calgary, Alberta. It continues to grow year over year. Last in, in 2015, which I also attended, they had an attendance of 667 attendees. Hopefully they won't outgrow their convention because then that means they'd have to look for another venue outside of my area. I've had an opportunity to meet people uh, year over year, play some games, and I've learned a fair bit from the experience, which I'm hoping to share later on in the show. As far as Gen Con is concerned, it's a, an experience that I've been wanting to have for a number of years now. I have a friend who lives in Indy that I could stay with, so I completely uh, circle around the whole uh, limited hotel accommodation issue that Gen Con is continuing to have. And for my personal uh, desire to attend, I recognize what it is for what it is. It's a big, crowded marketplace for gaming. I would not be going there to play games. I'd be going there to buy stuff, stuff I cannot get anywhere else any other way that either only sells at Gen Con, is is selling at Gen Con way before anywhere else. That's it. Because otherwise I would go insane just (laughs) given on what we've been speaking uh, on about Gen Con. With the two of you having experienced it firsthand, you know where where I, I can only be frightened by the possibility. But I do 
eventually intend to attend Gen Con with my friend Chris and hopefully have, take the opportunity to get in on some sweet, sweet loot as well as attend panels. That's another big thing about attending these conventions uh, beyond the gameplay could be the panels and meeting some of these uh, internet personalities, talking heads that I have come to know and associate with via email and social media and other such places, listening to their podcasts and what have you. Yeah, and I think that you bring up a couple of really good points there, that things like panels, Gen Con is probably the best convention out there for hearing discussion panel-style events like that. I think that they exist at other conventions, but they're not ever going to be nearly to the scape, or the scope, I'm sorry. They're not nearly going to be to the scope that they are at Gen Con just because of the sheer number of people. So I would agree with that. And I would also say, Ryan, that the organized events that do happen at Gen Con, if you're going to go to Gen Con, you definitely should look out for some of the more unique events. I've said this um, both in ConCred and in my own podcast, uh, The Cubist, that I very much think that one of the things that conventions bring to the table is the idea of unique gaming experiences you mm-hmm. can't get anywhere else. Um, I agree. Like, for instance, uh, the, my local convention, the Gaming Hoopla, uh, which I helped found a number of years ago, one of the things that I always try to do at those events is run um, big spectacle events, things like game shows, or I run Space Alert with a professional sound system and uh, special effects lighting, so that way you can play a game like that, but with more of a visual aspect to it, or, you know, things like that are the sorts of things that you can get from a convention like Gen Con. True Dungeon is a, is a great example for Gen Con. Maybe it's not particularly suitable for visually impaired folks, but for right. the average convention attendee, you know, something like that might be a great use of your time there. Yeah, I've I would... repeatedly heard, though, that as a game-playing convention, if you have to choose between Gen Con and some other convention as something to attend to play games at, Gen Con should not be your first choice. Uh, I agree. It, it becomes difficult to find seating. It becomes difficult to find games to play if you're not sitting down to play something that you brought with you or purchased. Well, I, I would argue that it depends on the sort of person you are. If you are the type of person that likes to schedule out your entire convention experience and have things planned out for four days, Gen Con is a fine place to play games because you can sign up for events and you know, okay, at this time I need to be at this table, which is clearly marked on the map as being right here. So all you have to do is factor in time for meals and whatever. And if you are that sort of person, you can have a great time playing games at, at, at bigger conventions like Gen Con. I, however, am more of a fly-by-night you know, here's my bag of games. What do we feel like playing? Let's go meet up with some friends kind of gamer. And if you're that sort of person, you're right. Gen Con probably isn't going to be an ideal gaming situation. But it, I would say it depends on the type of person, really, I agree. more than anything. I agree. When, I have a mixed bag here because, uh, Ryan, I I can't say I recommend Gen Con for the visually impaired at this moment. A couple earlier points, the panels and stuff. The last few years I was going, way back in 2009, 2010, I wanted to get some, some panels, but the floor space was odd at Gen Con. The way they had the panels, they were in rooms that were kind of off the beaten path. Yep. And I had a horrible time 
finding those, and there was one with uh, Dr. Reiner that I just had to skip altogether because I couldn't find the bloody room. And so I was a little, I was a little ticked about that. But uh, as far as the other experiences, prefer the the fly by night like like Bill does at my core. However, the unique gaming events at Gen Con are to be applauded. I played a tournament game of Settlers of Catan. And it was like four tables mishmashed together. The hexes were a foot apiece. <laughs> and, and someone had, you know, done the grass and, and done, done the felt and made houses. And, you know, the, the roads were actual rulers, you know, a foot long that someone painted. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh, that was a total blast. The weird part was trading cards. You had to trade your hobbit-sized cards walking across, you know, other people. But I will say in my own, on my own behalf, I won that game. Thank yes. you very much. And, and you know what they gave me? Two dollars off at the Mayfair booth. Yeah. And, <laughs> Yay! and, and yeah. Well, and, I mean, and, and if you were really into that game, you could continue playing those tournament games all weekend and win a huge, really cool prizes. It was just, I was just in that for that one time shot. But I, I will remember that forever. And then I watched other people play a very large game of Formula Day. Where someone has plastic cars, I don't know, I'd estimate maybe nine inches long-ish, you know, Formula Formula D, Formula One style cars, and they made their own maps, and it was all over the floor, and people were playing. What a blast. I didn't participate in that either, but it was fun to watch, and I actually saw a real-life chess event going. Those kinds of things are unique experiences to Gen Con, and that's what you go there for, or if you want to buy. But I think Bill's right. Had a mixed bag with some events and then some buying. Uh, but I still prefer the the more relaxed, let's get together with friends and play. But the unique events at Gen Con are, can and should be taken advantage of. Brian, did you see the actual robot robo-rally? I did not. They had a robo-rally game set up, a, a big version, but they actually had programmable robots. Like, it was an actual remote control robot that you were controlling. Oh, oh so they were playing robo-rally with uh, Lego Next, Lego yes. Mindstorm sets? yes. So, so you had your robot, and then you actually programmed the moves in, so you could see what it did. Oh, that oh, that's would be pretty intense! Cool. Holy cow, that was amazing! I didn't get a chance to play it mostly because I was intimidated. I felt like I would trip and break something important, but it was really cool. And I, I, that's one of those things where I just looked at it and went, "Oh, okay, that's cool. I could, <laughs> I could, I could get behind spending an hour or two doing this." Sure. When I attended Falcon, I pretty much stuck to the open gaming when I attended there, if only because I wanted the opportunity to play more of the the games that I knew how to play, you know how to teach. Uh was looking attending something like that was really about exposure. You know, you got more people passing by than normal if you're at an open game night, uh people coming and going, looking to try stuff, all this sort of stuff. So I pretty much parked myself at an outside table with some of games on the table and and a bag full of other games and I just kind of waited to see who would stop by and sometimes it uh, it was great people would sit down they either knew how to play or or teach them and it was a great experience but then hours would go by and nothing a few occasions uh had a, a two or three people sitting on the other side of my table they 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 were just looking for table space to ask me if they could sit in I said no problem just waiting for people they didn't want to play anything i had and that was okay what 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 i think i may look to do in the future is either try to set up my own schedule event as a, a means to set aside specific time for a specific game and people who want to play it or join in on someone else's 
scheduled game for something that I already know that I want to play. And I almost did that in 2015. To the hours that they went by and it just didn't happen. One, one of the big challenges of attending a convention is scheduling your time. How do you choose what you want to do when there are different conflicting things going on at the same time? When you just can't get to everything and do all the things you want to do, how do you prioritize? How do you say yes and how do you say no? And that's that's something that I don't as yet have enough experience yet with, but I'm learning. I feel like I, I, uh, one of the things I've probably had to learn the hard way is to bring fewer games. Yeah. Yeah, bag bag fatigue is a very real thing, and I I have made a point actually. My my personal theory is I have one specific bag that I take to conventions. This is my games bag. This is my convention games bag, and I will not allow myself to bring anything that won't fit in it. So that is literally how I decide how many games I'm going to take to a convention. If it doesn't well, fit in this bag, it's not going. That yeah. actually wasn't my issue mm-hmm. so much as having a bag full of games and not getting most of them played. Yeah, well, that can also be a thing, too. This is going to be an indirect way of answering your question, Ryan, but let me put it to you this way. If you wanted to find a convention that was the perfect mix of everything, every desire that it seems like you have expressed so far, I, there is, there is one convention that is the perfect mix of all of them, and that is BGGCon, which is held in November in Dallas, Texas every year. The reason I say that is this. BGGCon is almost exclusively open gaming, so it is that open format sort of feel, okay? But they also have so many, almost all of the major game publishers in attendance with booths for shopping opportunities, they have a great handicap accessible area in the main gaming hall. All of the tables that are nearest the entrances to that gaming hall are designated as handicap reserved. So you can sit at those tables right as people walk in. You don't have to worry about weaving your way through a million tables in order to find some place to sit down. Well, that's they, cool. Yeah, they've innovated a system where you can grab a player's wanted flag post it on your table, and then if other people are walking into the hall trying to find a game, all they have to do is look for those players' wanted flags, and they know exactly which tables to gravitate towards, so that way they can go find a game. It makes finding players much easier. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, there's also a teacher's wanted flag, so if you have a game that you've always wanted to learn, but for some reason you can't grok the rules, you can even set one of those up, and maybe someone will wander over and say, sure, I can teach this. And away you go. I think those are becoming more standard at conventions now. I'd be curious to know who started the trend, but I I know that Falcon has both of those, and I have sort of had to forcibly monopolize them because they'll have their ambassadors come around and try and grab all the unused pylons because they clearly don't have enough to accommodate everyone. And I have to tell them, look... If I don't keep these here, then I don't know when I'll ever get them back. And this is the only way I I have to flag people to let them know that I'm I'm sitting here waiting to play something. Sure. I I don't know who innovated it. I know that BGGCon is widely accepted as being one of the conventions that has publicized it. I think that 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 is a thing that, that I remember hearing about that convention long before I was ever able to attend it for the first time. 
So. That convention is on my personal short list. Oh, yeah. uh, it should I'm be. really jonesing to attend it. Now, I'll just ask a, a quick out-of-script question for you, Bill, sure. and Brian. Do you think that BGG Con, being sort of the, the convention associated with the largest board gaming website in the known universe, do you feel like that convention will explode out of control in the upcoming years, or do you no. feel like it will remain fairly modestly sized? It will remain modestly sized because Scott Alden won't allow it to explode. They only have, there's only a certain number of people that run any given convention. And at the, uh, quite frankly, I don't think that Aldi is interested in opening up the Pandora's box that a Gen Con or an Origins has. I think that he right now has a good thing going. He has what is a destination convention for a lot of the gaming public and a lot of gaming media and quote unquote personalities. There's no reason for him to try and go huge. He's mm-hmm. right. He's got a good thing going right now and he knows it. He knows, he knows that what he's got is a hit. And yes, it's going to continue to expand by slow bursts. But at this point, I mean, he's not even to 3000 attendees yet. And I think I think maybe Dice Tower has passed that, hasn't it, for this coming year? How many no. badges? No? Fifteen hundred, if I remember correctly. Okay. All right. So, but Dice Tower has been in existence for what? Four years? Five, five years it, now? It, I yeah, think this it's is approaching fifth year. five. Right. Fifth year. Yeah, yeah. This is the fifth year coming in 2016. Sorry, but and BGG's been around longer than that, and Dice Tower is easily outpacing it because Dice Tower is in expand mode. BGG is in Excel mode. And mm-hmm. I think those are two very different concepts for convention organizers, and not all conventions understand those two differences. That said, BGG Con has expanded into a second convention. I think they still call it BGG Fam. It takes place in the spring. BGG Spring or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely they're doing a second one a year. Sure. I'm actually technically they're doing a third one a year because they're doing a cruise also. They've got three, although although Dice Tower is doing a cruise this. I kind year of consider well, the I cruise think. to be in a category all by itself. Okay, that's fair, but it still is a scheduling destination gaming centric event. So you're right. I definitely understand how it would be occupy a different mind space, but it is essentially still a convention. It just happens to be a convention in an exotic locale. Oh, okay. Well, well, let me put it to you like this. Where both BGG Con and BGG Fam or BGG Spring are in the same location, the cruise is clearly not in the same location. Right. But their market, okay. But by that argument, Origins wasn't the same convention for many years because or- Origins used to be a traveling convention. It wasn't always located in only Columbus. Oh, okay. It used okay. to bounce. Now that's interesting. It used to bounce between Baltimore every other year, and then in the years it wasn't in Baltimore, it was in a different city around the country. Matter oh, fact, that had to have made it really confusing for people. Yes and no. Uh, the reason I say yes and no is because it was actually sort of convenient for many people who couldn't get to Baltimore. I mean, it's it depends on how you look at it. it. It didn't start being consistently in Columbus until 1996, and it started in 1975. But it has been in Baltimore, St- Staten Island, Ann Arbor, uh, San Mateo, California, Detroit, Dallas, L.A., Atlanta. As a matter of fact, I went to the one in Atlanta in 1990. Um, oh, well, when you say a traveling convention, you're not kidding. It's been everywhere. I've been everywhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is, it is very much, it was very much a, a, a nationwide convention for the United States. And that was the point of it, is that they were trying to bring the idea 
of large-scale convention going to different locations rather than just being a regional convention. Really, they were trying to do what Gen Con has since, and for that matter, Origins has since done. But in those days, the idea of people flying from all over the country to go to a game convention was pretty exclusive to Gen Con. And even then, Gen Con really wasn't pulling people from everywhere. Back in its early days, it was pulling people from the Midwest. But I don't think there were a lot of people that were flying into Gen Con before the mid, mid, uh, maybe late 80s, early 90s. That's 100% speculation for the record. But having attended those conventions, I can speak to the fact that I met a lot more local folk than I did out-of-towners in my years in the 80s. So there you go. Since you attended your first convention, how do you feel conventions have changed? And how has your personal experience with conventions changed over time? Well, when I first used to go to conventions, gaming conventions pre-mid-90s. So we'll say before, we'll we'll go with before the advent of Settlers of Catan. All right, we'll use that as the measuring stick because I think that's sort of the landmark mm-hmm. event in, the, in, in North America for what we consider modern board gaming. At least that that's the argument I would. So pre-95. Some would suggest that Magic the Gathering started the modern hobby sure but that's what that's what 93 yeah i mean that's it's right around the same time so sure we can go with 93 if you'd rather but either way the point is until the mid 90s conventions were the gaming conventions were primarily about two types of games they were about role-playing games and they were about war games like miniatures war games that was what you went to a gaming convention for you went there to play in role-playing games or you went there because you wanted to be able to show off your really killer 40K army in front of a bunch of people that you'd spent all this time painting. That For was some people, that did. hasn't changed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And 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 good for them. Man, I do not have the patience to paint miniatures. But that's a different story for a different day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it was all about, and really, at the in the grand scale of things, it was all about role-playing games. I mean, yes, the Wargamers were there, and I certainly don't want to sell them short, but they were not. The money makers. D and D was the money maker. It was it was all TSR all the time. It was the RPGA. You could make an argument was one of the standard bearers for the idea of a convention. This is the Role Playing Game Association, by the way, which TSR created out of whole cloth, basically to make a nationwide sort of guild for RPG players. Back then, because everything was about role playing games, everything was structured around the idea of a role-playing game setting. Tables that you would play games at were commonly in a grid format, curtained off from one another to help reduce sound overflow. That was, that was, and you always scheduled your events. There were very few pickup open gaming things because the idea of doing a pickup open gaming role-playing game is a lot more daunting than you would think. Just try doing it sometime. Like, try walking into a local game store and saying, I want to run a role-playing game. It's nigh on impossible, because not mm-hmm. only do you have to get the people, but you have to make sure they all know the rules, they all have characters, and they're all ready to play right then. So you basically everything was about scheduling, I would say, pre-90s. And when board games made their big push... And I mean big push. There were there were some board games that were very relevant pre-93, 95. Uh, Battletech is the one that leaps to mind, which you can argue is a war game, but really had more board game-esque aspects to it than war game. The miniature strategy game. Sure. Once the Settlers of Catan invasion happened and Magic the Gathering, you started to 
create an environment where everybody already knew how to play these common games and everyone could gather at a moment's notice to play the game. You could easily get three other people to play Catan because Catan had a simpler rule set than any role-playing game I've ever played, as, as an example. You know, it was much easier to teach. You could get it to the table. Even if people didn't know and they were interested, you could have them up and running in five minutes, and away you go. That paradigm shift, I think, is a lot of what caused the conventions to become shaped the way that they are. And I, and I very firmly believe this because there's only so many role playing game products you need to buy. Like you buy your rule books. Maybe you buy some modules or scenarios or source books or whatever. You make sure you've got a lot of dice and then pretty much all you need is a table and some funyuns and Mountain Dew and off you are to the races. <laughs> In the board game era, well, now there's a new game, so I need to buy it. And now there's another new game, so I need to buy it. And there's an expansion for this game, so I need to buy it. So the other half of it is that I think the board game, the evolution of the North American board gaming hobby has monetized gaming in a way that role-playing games were never quite able to because of the destination of the purchase, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need to buy stuff to play D&D as long as you own the rule books. But you do need to buy stuff if you want to play Ticket to Ride. And then if you want to play Ticket to Ride Markland, you need to buy more stuff. And if you want to play Nordic Countries, you need to buy more stuff. You're not just going to sit and bust out your Ticket to Ride and draw squares on a piece of graph paper and say, okay, now let's everybody pretend that this is Scandinavia. You know, that won't work. You're just not going to do it. You'll You'll spend the 20 bucks. And that's sort of the difference. How has your attendance of conventions evolved along with the times? Me personally? From, okay, I went back and looked at the history of Gen Con to try and dial in the year because it was annoying me that I couldn't come up with it. And it was indeed 1985, by the way. That was the first year that it moved um, into Milwaukee proper. It had been at uh, the University of Wisconsin Parkside uh, for year, and then before that in Lake Geneva where TSR. I went in 85 as an attendee. And I went probably as nothing but an attendee for the next, I'm going to say, 12 to 13 years until probably the late 90s. When the late 90s happened, like 97, 90, maybe 98, even 99, is when I started attending conventions as an exhibitor. I actually would work doing demos for Mayfair games. I demoed a lot of Settlers of Catan and other games that Mayfair was publishing at that point. That early, at that point in Mayfair's growth, they were importing a lot of games from Cosmos in Germany and bringing them over to Mayfair with just translated rules tucked inside the shrink wrap. So you would get the German version of the game, but with an English rule book. That was very common, at least amongst at Mayfair. And so I did a lot of demoing of their various and sundry titles starting in the late 90s. And I did demo work primarily. Well, and I want to say, nah, I probably did some demo work before that, too, for Coplow Dice. It all gets a little fuzzy because I'm old now. But I still got you, man. Did you ever have any of their jumbo dice? I did. I did. As a matter of fact, I famously threw one and accidentally hit Richard Garfield in the foot. That's a weird story. What a magical moment. It was. It was very magical. It was also more than a little bit embarrassing, but that's another story for another day. Like, and, oh, and, from, and from this, the six degrees of Richard Garfield or the Garfield <laughs> scale is now born. No, but I worked as a, I worked as an exhibitor for a whole bunch of years until 
2007 when I stopped uh, going as an exhibitor because, quite frankly, it became more about time. It became more about, I only have this amount of time. I just recently become self-employed. So the idea of taking time off of work in order to go to a convention became a different sort of priority for me, Mm. if that makes sense. It's harder to take time off when you are the only one working. There is no, there is no person that's just going to jump in and save your butt. It's pretty much you. So since then, I, instead of being an exhibitor, I just started going as only an attendee again. And that's actually also when I shifted away from Gen Con and Origins as priorities and started shifting towards smaller, more personal conventions. Um, around that time is when I helped form the Gaming Hoopla which is a convention um, in, here in 2016 being held in Gurney, Illinois, which is a fundraiser to help fight cancer. So I helped fund that around there and then started going to Hoopla might even have only been the only convention I went to as an attendee from that point until, I want to say, 2012 when I went to Dice Tower Con. Con yeah. How about you, Brian? Um, how has your convention attendance changed over time? Uh, what's my, my side of this is not going to be as exciting as Bill's. I, I really just went to Gen Con when it went to Indy because we were excited. And the first year we, we like made a big deal out of it. We had breakfast and, and really geeked out, but we went there and we went our separate ways just to buy stuff at the small booths. And I think at the first year or second year I went, or maybe even third, you know, I'm carrying around the hero skate box all day long. I learned that lesson of, 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 you know, heavy boxes, and I'm walking around with this all day long very quickly. So I learned to buy less every year I went, and then as, I grew, you know, as I, uh, as time went, the emphasis was on playing the special events, uh, maybe attending a, a panel or something like that, but doing mostly special events and then buying some stuff. Uh, and then I stopped going, uh, because of visual issues. And then, uh, this last year I went, it was just us walking around the hall, the exhibit hall, and it was just, it was just too busy. So we bought a few things and pretty much left. Had a good time. So the positive thing for me was actually Dice Tower Convention. And, and literally Bill was the first person I met walking in the door. And he was very friendly and, uh, he almost gave me a bear hug and he didn't even know me. I but, uh, it was, it was fun. I'm a hugger. And, <laughs> well, so am I actually. Absolutely. And so, uh, so anyway, that was a, a fun transition because it was only 300 people and you got to actually know some of the people and I'm still friends with them on Facebook today, some of them. And you know, it was just a good time. Uh, you know, there was a, a Loop and Louie game that just sprung up in the middle of the, the, the room or we were just, people had brought their stuff and Patrick runs a really good convention for bringing stuff in and you can always check stuff, stuff out from the library. But I loved, 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 loved. The casual aspect of it, and considering I brought my wife, who that's not her first choice, but she loves me enough to come, she had a good time. <laughs> you know, uh, she she genuinely had a good time because it was casual play. She felt no pressure. Also, they ran some events like a big wits and wagers tournament, that kind of fun stuff, and she actually did well in the liars dice tournament. Those kinds of friendship oriented, people oriented stuff. Uh, with the less Grognardian stuff is good. Now, I have, that sounds like I'm slamming on Grognards. I'm not. It's just not a cup of tea, personal taste wise. So that more casual, uh, gaming stuff, it was a complete blast. And I got to know a lot of people. And that's what drives me in gaming is, is, it's the games, yes, but it's also the people. Well, that sounds well, like a tagline to a famous podcast. <laughs> you, you, Dice Tower shell, everybody. Okay, to, before we hit the page break and move on with the edition, uh, one more thing I wanted to ask. 
is what convention or conventions are you looking forward to attending again, and which ones are you looking forward to attending for the first time? Well, uh, attending again is really easy for me because all of the conventions that I'm currently scheduled to go to in 2016 are all repeat attendees. Um, in chronological order, the first one I will be attending is the Gaming Hoopla, which I am no longer uh, uh, a staffer for. Now I just attend as an enthusiastic gamer. And I love that convention. Obviously, it's near and dear to my heart because I helped found it, but also because I love what it stands for. I love the idea. Their tagline is gaming for a good cause, and they mean it. They raise When money. does that roughly take place? So the Gaming Hoopla is April 1st through the 3rd, 2016, held at the Holiday in Gurney Convention Center in Gurney, Illinois, which is the northeastern corner of the state of Illinois. So probably right. like a three-hour drive for you. Brian. Oh no! I used to. I grew up in the southwest burbs of Chicago. Okay. East, born on, born and raised on the east side, but moved out to the burbs, and we spent a lot of time at Great America, which is the, sure. yep. the, the amusement old, park. The, one of the only two reasons you ever go to Gurney. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> Great America, it, and now the gaming Google. That's oh, it. nice self plug. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I, I was just shooting for roughly, just you know, to uh, leave some room there because you know how conventions they move around from year to year. That's sure. why I was kind of shooting for roughly there. So uh, hopefully it'll be roughly April year after year. It, it has been. It used to be a twice a year convention, and it's, it has always been in April since its inception. So that's not. What other conventions? Besides Gaming Hoopla, I will be attending Geekway to the West again for the second time this year, 2016. That is in late May in St. Louis, Missouri. Fantastic convention. I like to think of it as the other BGG Con. Because Geekway and BGG Con are both formatted extremely similarly to one another. The only difference is that B uh, Geekway is in the beginning of the year and BGG Con is at the end of the year. But other than that, they're very similar conventions. And that's a good thing. Because the third convention I'm definitely planning on going to is BGG Con, shockingly enough. This will be my third year going here in 2016. And Geekway and BGG, as far as... Gaming Hoopla will always be very near and dear to my heart because of my personal association with it. But as far as just flat out the joy of attending a convention, Geekway and BGG are neck and neck because they both have such a similar structure. BGG has more shopping opportunities and more quote unquote famous people that you can very easily rub shoulders with. But Geekway is in a better location, at least at the moment, and has much better dining options, which makes it a more fun yeah, time spent, if that makes sense. Like, you aren't just gaming at Geekway. You can go grab a bite to eat in a lot of really easy-to-access places. Whereas in at, at BGG, you're pretty much either eating in the hotel or you're praying for a shuttle bus to take you someplace awesome. When is that again? Uh, BGG? No, uh, Geekway. Geekway is in late May. Late May. See, you're, I- I'm going to have to... Uh bribe you you have to pick me up I would, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make it i'll make it worth your while with special hugs and back rubs i'm ready I'm all ready. right can it's i get deal. can i get a ruthie hug or two in there too well she wouldn't come well i don't care i just want the hug when i pick her up I, oh I pick of course you up. i don't care sure yeah no i would totally bring you along to geekway if they weren't already sold out sir oh, oh. but 2017 Sad panda. in 2017 you are on not all right no sarcasm at all all right. Get your get your badge next year. We'll go because it's right. an easy drive, at least for me. And and anything you're looking to hit up uh, for the first time that that you wanted to attend or that's that's come up that didn't exist before this that is, you'd you'd like to attend. 
This is a little bit embarrassing, but there are two fast-growing conventions in southeastern Wisconsin that I have somehow never managed to attend. One is called the Nexus Game Fair, and the other one is called Game Hole Con. Both of them, Nexus is in Milwaukee and Game Hole is in Madison, both of which are an easy, like, hour drive. But somehow I've never managed to get to either one of them, and which is dumb, right? Because they're both great conventions from everything I heard. And they're both closer to me than anything else I'm going to this year. And yet, I've still never made it. So I'm, I would like to go to one of those two. It's really just going to matter. It's going to be dependent on my my job because I'm self-employed. Brian? I'd love to make it back to Dice Tower Con. Of course, this involves someone I know, pre- preferably my wife, to go with me uh, again. It, it, when we went before, we, we kind of made it an anniversary trip and gaming trip and had spent half the time together, half the time at the con. And that was a great time. It's just that, uh, you know, my, my daughter was coming back from a year in Belgium, so we missed one of those. And then I had work-related stuff I couldn't get to last year, I think. So I've missed two in a row, but I'd love to go back uh, to Dice Tower Con because I know I'm biased. I know some of the people there, and they're really cool. And it's just a genuine good time. Even if I had no affiliation with the group, um, it's a good time. And I'm not – I'm not. what are you looking at, Bill? You took that shill joke very personally, sir. Not at all. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, you know, I, I – I, I, I wish I could attend the cruise because I think they're playing a, a live version of Lifeboats with kids in Shark and Festival. <laughs> as far as the conventions I want to get to, Champaign here, the good old Champaign, Illinois area, actually has had a convention called Winter War for the longest of times. Yeah, but it's it's usually a small, I think, 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 150, 200-ish. And it's been always, uh, my understanding is it's Winter War because it's a bunch of grognards. But I believe it's evolving to more standard board games. And so, again, nothing against Grognards, but that's just not my cup of tea. I want to check it out at some point because it's it's local right here. It actually just happened last weekend. Sometimes the snow interferes with the, the uh, con, but I want to check it out. For all this mentioning of Grognards to our listeners, uh, you can find out more about what a Grognard actually is in the show notes. As long as we're using this term, yeah, and don't and don't confuse it with Robert Wesley from Board Game Geek because that will confuse you even further. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Uh, now to what I'd like to hit up. Uh, I'm definitely doing Falcon again. It's just, it's a great time. I feel like as a small convention, it's just the right size. The convention's just the right size. It's easy enough to get to. Maybe I'm biased because it's in my city. What can I say? Uh, the, the, the people who run the Falcon Gaming Society are truly great people. They're very community orientated. They put on so many events throughout the year, all uh, on a monthly or or even every couple of weeks sort of basis. So it's a it's a very hopping community here in Calgary for for board gaming and board game related events. All we we, we in late 2015 and early 2016 we uh, had two board game cafes open in Calgary. Not one, but two. One of them had actually moved. Uh, Metal Galaxy had moved from their original location, which I recall to be Edmonton, North Alberta, to Calgary, and Pips, P-I-P-S, had, had just opened for the first time, and they're in different parts of the city, and they have a very different idea about how to bring the fun and the food together. Uh, so lots of great things going on with that, and, and I do eventually want to get to those cafes. They're not conventions, just throwing it out there. Uh, as far as conventions I'd like to attend, I think Board Game Geek, Gen Con, and HalCon, which is a yearly science fiction anime 
uh, role-playing board game convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia in late October, early November. Those three are three that are certainly on my, my short list. In the case of Nova Scotia, I have family there. So it would be an opportunity to both visit with family and attend Halcon. I was really close to attending in the holiday period of 2015, but then I discovered that it was a, like a limited attendance and they had sold out on all their tickets. So I missed out on that. Now that I know better, next time I plan to go back east to visit, I'm definitely going to make sure that well in advance I grab my ticket and, and get in on that. So, so I can make even more out of my, my vacation time there. Beyond that, I, if, if I can attend other things, great, but I know that my, my, my budget can only support doing so much good. So I have to be very careful about what I specifically attend. Absolutely. If there is an opportunity, Brian, for us to meet up to attend a convention, whatever it is, then I will be, be happy to try and make arrangements with you to make that happen and possibly even do a, a convention recording show for the podcast. And that goes uh, the same with you, Bill. I'd love to shake sure. hands with you and sit down at the table sometime to, to something we all want to play. Well, I'll tell you right now, and uh, this is going to sound like I'm being a shill, and I promise Aldi has never given me a free thing in my life besides a handshake, but... If you had to pick a convention to do that to, make it BGG. Honestly, it's going to deliver everything that you want out of a convention. And and between the quote-unquote personalities that are always there anyway, it's the best handshaking. It's the best mix of open gaming and being able to rub elbows with some really fun people that I can think of. That's That's your huckleberry right there. Plus, it's easy to fly into because the convention itself is held at at least at the moment in 2016 it's held in an air in an airport hotel so you literally you fly in to Dallas you get on a shuttle and say take me to this hotel and then you're at the convention okay so here we are we hit the page break and when we come back after we've uh washed our hands so we don't give anyone a mysterious illness We'll be back and we'll give you some more gold in the form of tips and advice for attending and organizing conventions. So keep on. And I'll be here too. 